Our scripture reading this morning is a collection of readings from Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. Proverbs 10:19. When words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. Proverbs 12:18. There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Proverbs 15:4. A gentle tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. Proverbs 18:21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. Ecclesiastes 5:2. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Whitney. Be good, Matt. Hey, good morning. Uh, welcome to Midtown Fellowship 12 South. My name is Elliot Cherry, and I'm the pastor here. Uh, if you're visiting with us, we're really glad that you're here. Um, we hope this service is a gift to you. Um, if, you're, if you are visiting or if you've um, been in and out this summer, uh, brief recap or brief update, we are uh, in the middle of a summer series that we're calling The Way of Wisdom. And what we're doing is, is we're looking at two of the five books of wisdom in the Old Testament, Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, and we're looking through the lens of wisdom um, of Proverbs and Ecclesiastes at different topics of life, money and decision-making and desire. Um, we're looking at emotions and, and a lot of things that we encounter. What does wisdom have to say to real people in 2019 in the real world who live with the brokenness and the heartache and the questions and the concerns and the unknowns, what, is, what would it look like to be a wise person as it relates to these topics? And so we've been kind of all over the place throughout these books looking at what they have to say, but as a brief caveat or as a, as a brief side note, we need to at least acknowledge that the Bible kind of approaches wisdom in a, in a two-tiered way or two levels. The first level is certainly that the Bible offers some principles for wisdom, Here's some things, and Proverbs sounds a lot like this many times. Here's some things, here's some principles uh, that will help you in life. Christian or non-Christian, believer in Jesus or not, if you live by Proverbs, your life will probably be a lot better than if you don't. There's some conventional wisdom in Proverbs and in Ecclesiastes. The, the next layer, though, the ultimate layer, though, for biblical wisdom is not to teach the reader just about a set of principles. The ultimate quest for wisdom, scripturally speaking, ends not with principles, but with a person. That Jesus Christ in the New Testament is actually called wisdom, wisdom personified. Jesus Christ has become to us now wisdom from God. Meaning, do you want to know what wisdom is? Do you want to, do you want to be a wise person? You have to know wisdom. You have to know Jesus. He is wisdom. He's the embodiment of wisdom. He's the manifestation of wisdom. He's the complete package of wisdom. And so wisdom, biblically speaking, is principles on some level, but more than that, it's a relationship with a person who is wisdom. And so we hope that in all of these topics that we're looking at, yes, we want to learn some wise principles. We also want to end by learning more about the person of wisdom to get a more complete picture of what is wisdom manifested, what is wisdom personified, and how does that look in the person of Jesus. So today... If you caught it from the call to worship uh, from Joseph uh, or the scripture that his wife Whitney read for us, uh, the topic that we're looking at today is what does wisdom have to say? Where would wisdom lead us as it applies to our words, our tongues, and the way that we speak? 
And so the first thing that the Bible wants us to know about wisdom with our words, wisdom with our tongues, is that there is a power in our words. Words, by definition, biblically speaking, have an inherent and undeniable power in them. Words are not neutral. Words are not impotent. Words themselves carry with them a power. We live in a town in the music industry that is built on the right words, Words said at the right time in the right melody in the right order that can make people lots of money and build a city around it. That this is what we do in this city. We, we, we essentially revolve our life in this city around the right words. That wisdom would say to us, words matter. Words have power. Words can actually change situations. Words can actually have an impact on the world. On a lighthearted level, we see it in the branding or rebranding of certain food products. Had a lot of fun Googling this this week. Uh, that some, more, some people, whoever they are, decided they had the power to just change or rebrand certain food products to make them more appealing, to make them more delicious sounding. So here's some examples. Anyone in here ever had a Chinese gooseberry? Yes, you have, because it's not called that anymore, because that's a terrible name. It's called the kiwi. Anybody know that? Yeah, you didn't know that. Never eaten a Chinese gooseberry, eating lots of kiwis. How about this one? Anyone know what the dolphin fish now is? No, because you're so uncultured. It's the mahi-mahi. Anyone ever had that? You've had dolphin fish, you weirdo. Here's, the other, here's, another, here's another fish. Here's another fish rebranding. Patagonia toothfish. <laughs> Sounds delicious. Uh, it has now become the Chilean sea bass, which is apparently expensive. And... Oh, did someone say all to that? I'm sorry, someone. And the last one is prunes. We don't call them prunes anymore. We call them dried plums, which both of those sound disgusting. But they, they in an attempt to rebrand the, the word, uh, in an attempt to make it sound more delicious, in an attempt to, here, here's what those rebranders, what the marketers are saying is, I know just by changing the word of something, I know just by changing the word that this thing is called, it will sound more appealing to you. Because even on a, on a small surface level issue like the rebranding of a food product, you know that words have a power to change something. Words can do something. Words can create things. It can, it can affect things in a culture and in a city and in a world. God knows the power of words. He invented words. He also created the existing universe with his words. Genesis chapter one, no one was there. No one got to see it happen. But Genesis one is clear about a lot of things. God spoke and something happened. His very word had power in it. His very words created something. And as human beings made in his image, your words have power too. That's part of being in the Imago Dei, the image of God. That's part of being created in his image is that your words are not neutral. Your words are not impotent. Your words have power. They have weight to them. And you may be sitting there thinking, probably half of you in the room are sitting there thinking, okay, so this is the sermon for all of my annoying extroverted friends who just talk so much, that I'm an introvert and I don't really talk a whole lot, that I don't really say a whole lot of words, and so this sermon probably doesn't apply to me, this is just for the people who talk too much. But the Bible would warn us not to be so naive Alec Moitier, who's an Irish biblical scholar, passed away a few years ago, brilliant man, noted this when speaking about the human experience with words. He said, we cannot think without formulating words. We cannot plan without describing to ourselves step by step what we intend to do. We cannot imagine anything without painting a word picture in our minds. 
We cannot resent others without feeling the fires of resentment in words addressed to the other person. We cannot feel sorry for ourselves without listening to the self-pitying voice which tells us to victimize ourselves. Essentially what he's saying is, do you know that everything you do, regardless of how often you speak out loud or not, everything you do involves words? Everything you do involves words. You can't think without words. You can't imagine anything. You can't create. You can't plan. You can't harbor bitterness. You can't have any kind of um, time before bed, falling asleep and recapping your day. You have words for you. You have words for other people, even if they never make their way out of your mouth. Everyone needs to know the power of their words. And so Proverbs wants to start us on that journey with wisdom in our words by giving us some metaphors. That's often how Proverbs communicates. That's why you have to sit with Proverbs for longer than just a quick reading. You have to sit with the metaphor because the metaphor is trying to say something deep in it. Proverbs wants us to understand the power of our words through a couple metaphors. And here's what it says. I'm going to reread two of the ones that Whitney read for us. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 18, listen to this image, listen to this metaphor given to express the power in our words. There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts. And then Proverbs 15, chapter 4, listen to this imagery, a gentle tongue is a tree of life. Okay, so those are two images kind of on the opposite end of the spectrum, but the first one, there is one whose rash words are like a sword thrusts. Do you know one of the most painful realities about dealing with the power of our words and acknowledging that reality? You can't take words back. Once you've said them, they are forever said. Like, can you imagine stabbing someone with a sword? They're like a sword thrust, stabbing someone with a sword, and then realizing what you've done and going, oh, I'm so sorry, I didn't mean to do that. I guess that means it's all okay now, right? Because I said I didn't mean it. No, you've already stabbed them. There's going to be blood on the ground. There's going to be a wound, and the wound may heal, but there will be a scar there forever. That words, rash words, are like a sword thrust. That you can't stab someone and say, that was a total accident. Please don't don't, um, be mad at me, and please don't even be in any pain because I didn't mean for that to happen. No, but words are like a sword thrust, and once you say them and once you stab them, you can't take them back. And then the other side, Proverbs 15 says, a gentle tongue is a tree of life. This, this is uh, acknowledging not only the power of our words, but the power in the way we say our words. That a gentle tongue is like a tree of life. Think about that imagery now. Embedded inside of your words, the gentle words have the ability, like a seed, to cast words out, like casting seed out, that everything a tree needs to blossom into a tree of life is inside of the seed. And, and the author of Proverbs is saying, do you know your words are a lot like seeds? That the, everything that is needed to make that a tree of life for someone, to give them life, to give them nourishment, to give them fruit to eat from, to give them beauty in their life, a tree of life, everything someone would need from you to, to experience that from you is in your words. Your words are like seed, and they have inside of them the ability to create something really, really beautiful. But in the second half of that proverb, the one whose gentle tongue is like a tree of life, then the second half says, but perverseness in the mouth breaks the spirit. That yes, you have the ability with your words to cast seeds that can turn into trees of life for people. You also have the ability with your words to crush someone's spirit, to break their spirit, that your words are not neutral. Your words matter. Your words have power within them to do something. 
Compare Proverbs' analysis of the, proverb, of, the, of the power of our words. Think about what Proverbs has to say about the power in our words, and then compare that to the childhood jingle that many of us grew up with. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can never hurt me. Proverbs says that's not true. Sticks and stones can only break my bones, but words, according to Proverbs, can decimate my soul. That's the power that they have. I wish it was only sticks and stones. Words can go a lot deeper. Words can get into my soul like poison and plant something. Words can be like a sword thrust that I thrust at people to wound them. Words can get, words can get behind my bones and into my heart. They can weigh me down. They can, they can fester. And then what Proverbs says is true. It can crush someone's spirit. Just your words can crush a spirit. Do you know your words have that kind of power? What Proverbs is saying to us is sobering. Our words don't just have the ability to be wishful harm or wishful good to somebody. Words, our tongues, actually carry with them the power to do something. Even if we don't intend it that way, they still have a power within them. So Proverbs is constantly warning us. We read five of them. We could have read 35 of them. It's one of those common topics in Proverbs is that your words matter If you want to be a wise person, you have to think about what you're saying and how it comes across and how you're saying it. Every study of child behavior, child psychology, will tell you how desperately children need words because of the power that is in words. Kids, children will drink up compliments. They'll drink up affirmation like a sponge, and it will go on to affect them forever. It will go on to be in them either a sword wound or a tree of life, how their parents speak to them, what their parents say to them or don't say to them. One of my best friends in college, right after we graduated, he was going on a really cool international uh, journey with a really cool organization. He was about to head out of the country, and the night before he leaves, he calls me on the phone, and he's weeping. And I thought maybe he was just scared to leave the next day. And he said, I just got off the phone with my dad, and I'm 23 years old, and it's the first time my dad's ever said he loved me. That was a long time ago. Hasn't heard it since. So what kind of wounds do you think, what kind of, what kind of void is left when the power of words, especially from the one that was meant to give it to the child, has only in his entire life heard one time that his father actually loved him? One time. Because inside of words, or the lack of words, if you're not planting trees of life, you may be inflicting sword wounds into people. Words can name us. That's the power that they have. All of us have memories of harmful words that have been said to us. Something a coach said, something a parent said, something an ex-boyfriend or an ex-girlfriend said. They commented about our body, about our personality, our potential. I hate that word. Our status with them in the relationship, the, the words we carry with it, things that people have said to us. It, I, I could tell you a thousand times between now and the end of the year that you're a beautiful, wonderful person, and if one person between now and the end of the year said you were awful and stupid and ugly, you'd remember that way more than you remember the thousand times I complimented you. Because it's what, it, words have that kind of power. Words, especially the damaging ones, are like sword wounds. They can get in, they can crush a spirit. Words have the ability to name us. And part of that, part of words' ability to name us is what it means to be human. Do you know you were made to get your name from someone else's words to you? 
That's why the the parent-child relationship can be so sweet and why it can be so damaging because you were made to get your name from the words of another person. There's nothing wrong with that. That's what it means to be human. You were meant to get your name from someone else's words and we don't know who we are unless someone else tells us. Do you know you can't name yourself? I was spending some time with one of our elders recently who was telling me this story. Anybody hear the news story in Chicago a couple weeks ago with Chance the Snapper, the crocodile, the alligator that gets loose in Chicago? There's this, a, a pet alligator in uh, Chicago, gets loose, gets set free. It finds its way into this pond. It's huge. It's causing a stir with all the neighborhood folk because it's the only alligator in Chicago. And so someone volunteers and steps up to the plate, self-titles themselves, Alligator Bob, true story, not making that up. Alligator Bob, Chicago's leading alligator expert, which means you are not an alligator expert, and calls himself Alligator Bob. I'm Alligator Bob, I'm an expert in alligators. I can get that alligator out of the pond that it's in because I am Alligator Bob, Chicago's leading alligator expert. Six days later, alligator still in the pond. Alligator Bob not doing so great with his expertise. So Chicago calls St. Augustine, Florida, shout out hometown, close to my hometown, where the alligator farm is, okay? Alligator farm sends an expert up. The the alligator is out of the pond in less than an hour. And so Alligator Bob, who self-titles Alligator Bob, just Bob now. Can't call yourself... can't name yourself Alligator Bob if you're not an alligator expert, if you can't get one alligator out of a pond. And so it's comical. But we're talk- I was talking about this with an elder. Do you know that you actually can't name yourself? Someone else has to, you can't just call yourself an alligator expert. You have to be told that by somebody else. Only other people can declare you that. You can't just call yourself a doctor. You can't just do that. And it doesn't make you a doctor. Someone else has to be able to give you the name of a doctor. Because words have in them power, power to do something, power to name us, power to give us an identity. James chapter 3 that Joseph read for us in the call to worship, James chapter 3 has a very um, condensed 12-verse section on the power of the tongue. And he read uh, kind of some of the warnings in that section from us in our call to worship that, that the same tongue that curses men we use to praise God, and the, that should not be so. We should not have that hypocrisy with our tongues that we curse men with it and we praise God with it, which is why we started our call to worship that way. Let's use our tongue to do what it was made to do, to praise God. So let's do that together. Right before that section where James is warning the reader about the power of the tongue and the destruction it can cause, he gives some imagery. He gives some allegory for the power of the tongue. He gives two images before that section. He says, tongues are like a ship rudder. This little, little thing on a massive vessel that can literally change the course of an entire vessel. This little thing that can, that can rechart a trajectory of someone's entire life. Do you know that your tongue can cause other people's vessels to go on a completely different course? Do you know your tongue has that kind of power? And the next image James gives is that tongues are like a spark like a spark that can start an entire forest fire, that forest fires that are setting entire forests and cities ablaze all started with just a spark. Do you know your tongue has the ability to set a forest fire? Proverbs, James, biblical wisdom, the first thing it wants us to know is how powerful our words are. Proverbs 18, 21. 
is just summing all of this up, this, this first step on the journey of wisdom with our words to let the reader know just how powerful our words are. It says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Death and life are in the power of your tongue and the power of your words. This is terrifying for someone who makes their living with words. That do you know with your words you have the ability to set a forest fire or to breathe life into the world? Death and life are in the power of your tongue. They can be used for good or used for evil. They can be used to breathe life or death into people, into your spouse, into your world, into your vocation, into your city. And rarely do people stop and pause to consider the power of their tongue. We live in a world that is literally set ablaze in in lots of forest fires by words because the invitation in social media, the invitation with the online presence of people is if I have a thought, I'm allowed to say it and I can just say whatever I want to say and I don't have to deal with the repercussions of it because I'm just saying words that I feel right now. And so do you realize the decimation, the forest fires, the ships that have been set off course because of the words? We're, we're, We're drowning in the forest fire of words all around us. And I wish, gosh, I wish this weren't true about my job. This happens so many weeks when I'm prepping a sermon that the the level of hypocrisy that gets exposed in me based on the topic that I'm supposed to teach that week is annoying. That we, we gather together as pastors from our Midtown movement every Sunday morning to pray before we scatter uh, and go to our different locations. And all of us were commenting this morning at our pastoral prayer about, God, I feel like such a hypocrite to have to get up and talk about what the Bible has to say with wisdom in our words, and I've set forest fires in the last day with my tongue. That Friday night, I had to go to my kids and apologize and say, hey kids, do you know the irony? Is that daddy's gonna get up on Sunday in front of a bunch of people and talk to them about what it means to have wisdom in their words, and I set a forest fire tonight. I stabbed you with a sword tonight. I didn't say that to them, but that's what, <laughs> I just did it again. But that, that's, that, that's, that's the reality of like, I, I have not mastered this. That's what James actually says. No one can tame the tongue. You can tame wild animals. You can't tame your tongue. Nobody can. But the question before us on this first point, do you know the power in your tongue? Do you know who you've wounded with your words? Do you know the sword scars you've left in people with your words? Do you know the death you've brought into the world with your words. Do you know the life that you could bring into the world with your words? Do you know the power of your words? Let me ask you this way. Who have you named? What names have you given to other people to their face or behind their back? Who have you named with your words? Because words can do that. Words can name people. What forest fires have you started with your words? What trees of life have you planted with your words? What trees of life have been planted in you by words? Well, regardless of how aware you are or not of the power of your words, the power of your tongue, the Bible, uh, that's kind of the first level of the the biblical wisdom with our words, with our tongue. The Bible wants to take us to the next level, a deeper level with wisdom in our words. Is that not only is there a power in our words, that's the first part, but there is actually a, a root system underneath our words. There's something far deeper going on underneath 
what we say. There's something going on beneath the surface. Words, yes, they're like seeds that can plant other trees of life. Words are also like fruits on a tree, the Bible would say. Words are the, are the production of something else underneath it. Words don't create themselves. Words were created somewhere else underneath it to produce something above. Words get their life and their existence from something way deeper in you. This is how Jesus says it. Jesus says it in Matthew chapter 12. He also says it in the book of Luke. Matthew chapter 12, he says this. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Meaning this. Do you know that what you say didn't start with your lips and your tongue? Whatever you say started somewhere else. And Jesus would say it always starts in the heart So an issue with our words, beautiful or destructive, an issue with our words is always an issue with the heart. Do not be deceived. Jesus is not exaggerating. Jesus didn't do that. Jesus is speaking the truth. Out of the overflow of your heart, the mouth speaks. All that the mouth is doing is speaking about what is going on inside the heart. That the mouth is simply the fruit on the tree of your heart. Words expose what is truly going on in our soul. Words have the ability to reveal, to expose, to show us who we really are and what we really believe. In James chapter 3, that passage about the tongue, at the very end of that section, James gives two more analogies to get at this issue. That do you know that out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks? James gives two analogies to try to prove that point. He says, can a fig tree produce olives? Like, can something that was made to produce figs produce anything else other than figs? If, you're a, if you have a fig tree system, fig tree roots, you will have figs. Then he says, and can a salt water spring produce fresh water? Like, can, can something that is made to produce something produce anything other than what it was made to produce? Meaning this, how do you know that a fig tree is a fig tree or not? How do you know that a saltwater spring is a saltwater spring or a freshwater spring? By what comes out of it. That's what Jesus and James are saying. Do you want to know how your heart's doing? Do you want to know what's going on inside of your soul? Look at what is coming out of it. And what comes out of it is primarily, according to Jesus, exposed in your words If you really want to know who you are, if you really want to know what kind of person you are, if you really want to know how you are doing, look at the words that are coming out of you. Look at your life. Look at the fruit of the words of your life. Look at the way you talk to people. Look at the way you have conversations with friends. Look at how you speak under stress. Look at the words that come out when you're fighting with your spouse or your roommate or your parents. Look at what happens when you're having a political conversation. Look at what you say when you're having a social conversation. Look at how you're speaking when you're having beers with friends. Look at the words that are coming out of your mouth and Jesus and James would say, it will show you how you're doing in your heart. And that's not necessarily meant to condemn you And for you just to see how ugly it is down there, it's meant to invite you to deal with reality. Do you want to know how you're doing? That's dealing with reality. Wisdom only deals with reality. You want to deal with reality? Let's see how you're doing. You want to know how you're doing? Let's look at your words. The words that come out of you will tell you how you are doing, tell you what you're believing, tell you where you are, because they will show you your heart. Words always reveal 
Out of the heart, the mouth speaks. James here with this fig tree and fresh water analogy of, hey, do you know what's going on in your soul is coming out in your words? Even if you think you're a master manipulator with your words and you can hide stuff and dance around stuff, you are not a master enough to hide exactly how you're doing because if you're hiding how you're doing, that's how you're doing. If you're seeking to stay hidden with your words, that's a revelation of how you're doing. You're afraid to be known. You want to hide. Why do you want to hide? You cannot hide everything with your words. And so James here in Jesus, thousands of years before modern psychology would jump on board with this, is telling us what every counselor and every psychologist knows. Do you want to know how people are doing? Get them talking. Because when they start talking, it will reveal to you and hopefully to them how they're doing. I can't tell you how many times I've sat across from someone and they begin to talk about their life, they begin to speak about a situation, and then they, say, they will literally stop themselves, oh my gosh, I can't believe I just talked about my mom that way, or I can't believe I just described my marriage that way. Oh, because you haven't spoken about it yet, so you didn't know how you were doing until you started speaking about it, because speaking about it will help you know how you're doing with it. It will help them see, it will help you see how you're doing. Words, speech, reveal to us what we believe and what's going on in the heart. Words show you who you are better than your thoughts do. Words show you who you are better than your friend's opinion of you. Words are the great revealer. They don't just have in them a power to thrust a sword or to plant a tree of life or to crush a soul. They have in them that power. Words are also, one layer deeper, a great revealer of how you're doing. They have a power to expose like fruit on a tree. So what are your words revealing about you? What are your words exposing? What is the fruit of your mouth saying to you about how you're doing? What are your words revealing? Are your words bitter words? Are your words angry words? Are your words sad, selfish, lonely, anxious? And again, please hear, this is not meant to be a judgment zone or a condemnation zone, that if your words are full of any of those descriptions, that's not meant to go, you horrible person, you, you ugly, stupid soul, you better get your act together. No, the invitation from James and from Jesus is just say, hey, look at your words and it will let you know how you're really doing. And once we know how you're really doing, now we can talk about health and healing. But we can't talk about health and healing until we actually know what reality is. And your words will let you know what reality is. So because words come from the overflow of our hearts, follow this train of thought now. Words have power. Words reveal what's going on in our hearts. Now here's the third and final part. If you want to heal your words, you have to first heal your heart. If you're wounding people with your words, newsflash, you have a wounded heart. Because wounded words only come, wounding words only come from a wounded heart. Do you need to heal your words? You have a broken heart. You have a wounded, decimated, shattered heart if that's the way that you're speaking to other people. And our wounded hearts can only be healed or must be healed if we're ever going to heal our words. And many of our wounds, gosh, I would say the majority of our wounds, come from words. 
They certainly come from words that other people have said to us. They certainly come from things that we've had said to us by other people, like sword wounds that other people have thrust into us. But maybe the scarier thing to look at is, do you know that maybe some of the deepest wounds in your heart, you're the one holding the dagger? You're the one with the sword handle. You're the one who has thrust words at yourself. You're the one that has caused your own wounds. Even if major massive trauma has been done to you, do you know that the way you talk to yourself about that trauma has maybe caused more damage? That the words you use when you talk about yourself, the stories you write about yourself and about God and about your world and your life come from you? That's why it's been said before by Paul Tripp that no one has more influence on you than you do because no one talks to you more than you do. That driving home after work, falling asleep at night, even in the middle of a conversation, maybe what you're doing right now while this guy's talking a bunch of words, you've got words about what's going on. We've wounded ourselves with our words to ourselves. We boast in and to ourselves. We neglect ourselves. We shame ourselves. We are our own harshest critic, and our enemy loves it. Our enemy uses evidence from our life. He uses things we've actually done and things we've actually said and things we've actually thought to use those to to join with our chorus of words against ourselves so then we can't argue with it because it's true. I have messed up. I'm not getting any better. I am too much. I won't ever be loved. I'm not enough to do what I've been called to do. All the words that we say to ourselves, do you know that your enemy is singing in the chorus of you? He loves it. Do you realize how you talk to yourself? Do you realize the names you've been given from words of others and words of yourself? Do you know that the only thing that can heal the wounds that we have been dealt with by words, that, that this, is, this is so profound, please don't miss this. The Bible is so logical and the Bible is so, Christianity makes so much sense. Do you know that if words have caused a lot of damage in your life, if you've been wounded by words, you know how you're gonna be healed? by words, that in order to be healed from the wounds that have been done to you with words, you need a greater, more powerful, more healing word than the one that wounded you. You've been named by words. You've been labeled by words. You've been given an identity by words. And so what wisdom would lead us to in the healing of our hearts to heal our words We have to hear a greater healing word spoken to our wounded hearts. You've been wounded by words. You have to be healed by words. This is so difficult in the modern era. This is is so incredibly difficult to hear a better, softer, greater word to us. Do you know why? Because in order to hear anything, we have to start listening. In order to hear a greater word spoken to us, we have to stop talking. We have to stop being the primary voice to ourselves. Which is where the Ecclesiastes chapter five passage that Whitney read for us, Ecclesiastes five, that's exactly where it's trying to lead us. That in all the clutter of voices in your world and in your head, all the voices of others and the voices of your enemy and the voices of yourself, there is normally one voice that gets drowned out. There is normally one voice, the first voice to get pushed to the side that becomes incredibly difficult to hear when we are just filling up our world with our own words and we're filling up our own hearts 
God is in heaven and you are on earth, meaning this, God's words should matter to you more than your words do. God's words should have a greater weight in your life than your words do. God is in heaven and you are on earth. God's words should be listened to more than your words. So let your words be few, the author of Ecclesiastes says. When you are in conversation with him, listen to him more than you speak to him. That's what Ecclesiastes is saying. It's what Mother Teresa said. Mother Teresa infamously said, someone came and asked her about her prayer life and said, tell me how you pray. And and she said, when I pray, I listen. And they said, oh, what does God say? What do you hear? She said, he listens too. Meaning the art of encountering God in prayer is first the art of listening. It's first the art of, of letting your words be few, of you not being the primary voice so hard because there is a war. There is a war for our stillness. And this is not new in the modern age. That's why Ecclesiastes 5 has to say, don't be hasty to utter a word. You're going to want to speak when you come before God. You're going to want to do that. You're going to want to fill the void with words. Don't do that. Let your words be few. So hard in this war for our stillness. Internally and externally, we want, to, we want to fill the void with our own words. I know the pain of this. I know that when, it, that when the void of stillness and silence is happening, I would much rather fill the void with Netflix or Instagram. I would much rather not be bored and not be silent. I have to fill the void with some words, mine or someone else's. So hard to slow my heart down long enough to listen to the Lord, partially because I'm so interested in telling the Lord what I think. And if there is going to be a conversation between me and him, I want him to hear some things from me. But then it goes deeper. The other thing that makes this very, very difficult is once we might start listening, we've already imagined what he's going to say to us. We've already put words in his mouth. We've already written the script for him to us, which is why Ecclesiastes 5 is saying, slow down. Let your words be few. That's Ecclesiastes 5.2, let your words be few. Ecclesiastes 5.1 is talking about on your way to the temple for the Old Testament Jew, on your way to encounter the living God. You know what it says? Be very quick to listen. In 1 Kings chapter 19, the Old Testament uh, prophet Elijah is on the run. He's got a bounty on his head. His life is not going great. He's depressed. He's suicidal, literally. He says, I want to kill myself. I don't want, I don't, I don't want to live anymore. He's, he's not doing so good. So he's on the run. He runs hundreds of miles to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. He runs to Mount Sinai. And he's sitting on the edge of the mountain. And he's sitting over there. And he's wondering, when is the Lord going to show up and speak to me? Because I'm dying here. I need some help here. I'm hurting here. I need some comfort here. And so then 1 first, first Kings 19, go read it. Paints this beautiful, awe-inspiring picture tells us what happens. It says that Elijah's sitting there on the mountaintop waiting to hear from the Lord, and a tornado comes. And there's this loud tornado of wind and, and rain, and it's coming, and it's swirling around Elijah. And so go there. Go to Mount Sinai on top of it, and waiting to hear from the Lord, and a tornado comes down. And then 1 Kings 19 says, but the Lord was not speaking to him in the tornado. Thank you. And, and then it says... After the tornado, an earthquake happens. And then 1 Kings 19 says, but the Lord wasn't speaking to him in the earthquake. And then fire is rained down from heaven, and and Elijah is dying to hear something. You're not speaking to me in the tornado. You're not speaking to me in the earthquake, and fire rains down from heaven. And then 1 Kings 19 says, but the Lord wasn't speaking to him in the fire. 
And then finally it ends the section and it says, the Lord came to speak to Elijah in a whisper. The literal translation of that word is a thin silence. I love that word picture, a thin silence. Do you know how quiet you have to be to hear a thin silence? Do you know how still you have to be to hear a whisper? That's why Ecclesiastes 5 says, draw near to the presence of God and be quick to listen. Let your words be few. Be not rash in your heart to utter a word before God. Come near to him to listen to what he has to say to you. And he's not gonna be speaking in all the loudest places. He's not gonna be speaking with the tornadoes and the earthquakes and the fire, even though he made those things. He comes to speak in a thin silence. And there's a few places in scripture when we're told about the kind of the the thesis of the thin silence, kind of the, the general theme of the still small voice of the thin silence. There's a few places in scripture where we're told what kind of words the Lord says to us when we begin to listen to the thin silence. Romans chapter eight is perhaps my favorite place that speaks about this. Listen to this one sentence from Romans chapter eight, talking about the spirit of God and how the spirit of the living God inside of you, if you belong to Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit inside of you. Listen to what the Holy Spirit, listen to what he says, listen to what he speaks about to you. It says the spirit himself bears witness to our spirit that we are in fact children of God. The spirit of God bears witness. Translation, the spirit of God speaks He's talking, and what does he talk about? What is he whispering about? What is the thin silence that he's always whispering about to God's children? You're a child of God. You know, you were, na- you were made to be named by another. You were made to get your name from another's words. Here they are. The Spirit himself speaks to your spirit that you are a child of God. If you belong to Jesus, that cannot be taken from you. You've been wounded by words, words that have been said to you by others, words that you've said to yourself. You need a greater word, a more powerful word. How about a word from heaven? The Spirit himself speaks to our spirit that we are children of God. These are the words that can heal the wounds done to you by the words of others. Let's pray. Father, we pray that we would have the courage to listen to words greater than our own. That the same spirit that Paul wrote about in Romans is here with us and is speaking to us now. Heal our hearts, Father, that we might have healed tongues. Draw us near to listen to you. Heal our hearts and give us words to bless and heal the world around us, we pray. May we um, plant trees of life and not forest fires. May we um, build up spirits and not crush them with our tongues. We have wounded hearts, Jesus. So still us now as you would come and bear witness to our spirit. 
We're distracted by the earthquakes and the fires and the tornadoes of our life. And the thin silence is what we need to hear. Meet with us now, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.